Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, senior writer at Rolling Stone, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. Uh, I also have uh, Nathan Brackett here from Rolling Stone. What's up, Brian? Week two. <laughs> week. This is uh, week two of our, our of our live show here on uh, Sirius XM, uh, and uh, we have uh, again some really great guests today. Uh, you know, the the um, TV soundtracks, TV scores, and soundtracks is not something I've given a lot of thought to. I can't remember the last one that jumped out at me. Do you remember the last one that jumped? Cop uh, Rock, right? <laughs> maybe Cop Rock. Yeah, I, um, I, I, you know, Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. I don't know. Nothing. You know, right? right. Nothing. Well, well, the OC. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that was. Uh, but but uh, you know. Luke Cage, uh, which is a show that debuted not long ago on Netflix um, from Marvel, uh, has one of the greatest scores and also soundtracks, original music and existing music that I've just ever heard on a TV show. This one is super special. Yeah, just, and, yeah. and it, it, it creates a whole world, and it creates this, this world of a, of a superhero in Harlem. And uh, we have uh, with us today the people behind that music, uh, Adrian Young, uh, an amazing producer, and... Ali Shaheed Muhammad uh, of Tribe Called Quest and many other things, and they collaborated and made this music, and, and we're so happy to have them. You there, guys? Yeah. Hey, what hey are you guys? Doing? <laughs> How you doing? Up, Thanks so much for being Good. here. We're in New York, and, and they're in L.A., so we cannot actually see them but it sounds like we're all in the same place hopefully so that's good the magic we're supposed radio. to fake we're supposed to fake it though you just <laughs> oh messed up man the we didn't get the memo we're like <laughs> print guys oh, we good. didn't get that oh damn <laughs> no i'm i'm no 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 i don't believe in faking i think we i think we have to be real I all right transparency yeah, okay. full okay. transparency yeah. <laughs> uh, we're super excited to have you guys all right, so if we're gonna be real uh i'm actually in the bathroom on my phone oh, no. <laughs> i'm just Too kidding real. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> We've gone too far. Um, so, you know, we have so much to talk about, uh, about the amazing music on the show and about each of your careers. I, I do, I, but there is breaking news, and I wish we had sort of like a breaking news bell to ring. Um, but, uh, you know, Ali, you know, obviously last night it was announced that there is going to be a new Tribe Gold Quest album. Yeah, this is we yeah. we just got to get this out of the way and talk about this for a, for a little bit. I was bit. hoping you'd save that to the very very end, but yes, <laughs> announcement has been made. And uh, and basically, we figured we'd flip it. We'll get it out of the way, you know, just very quickly and just you know within the limits of uh, of our time here. Just how did this come together? What 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 should we expect from it? Uh, how much of, of of Fife were we able to get on this album? What what's the deal? Oh man, you know, I really wasn't prepared to talk about this, but I will say, <laughs> as Q-Tip had posted in his handwritten note that uh, a year ago, nearly a year ago, we performed on the Fallon show and um, he felt the way about the performance that inspired him to want to do another record. And that night he uh, called us up and said, come could you stay in New York a little while longer? And uh, I have this idea. And so I could not because I was working on Luke Cage. Mm. And But 
definitely uh, inspired Fife to stick around. And um, yeah, there's quite a deal of Fife Dog on there. That's incredible. It's a new Tribe Called Quest record. You know, people have been asking for it for a long time. And, uh, there were point, many points in times when we didn't think it would happen, but uh, it, you will have it November 11th. Uh, that's amazing news. And this is the first one in 18 years? Is that? Yes. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, I had to think about that. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing crazy. news. It is we can't crazy. wait to hear it. This is calmly. You guys have broken the news because I don't know who Q-Tip has spoken with about it, but yeah, this is the first time I've been He posted that about note it. last night. Man. Yeah. And, and, yeah. Everyone's so, been asking me in, in the Luke Cage campaign about it, and I just would yeah. not talk about it. I know. You it. So couldn't talk you go, about Brian it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boom. <laughs> we had to ambush you on yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. We well, had no choice. We figured it was cool now that it was announced, but you know, and, and maybe we'll return to that very briefly at the end, but so Luke Cage. You guys were working on another project together. It's called Midnight Hour, correct? Yeah. And what was the what was the deal with that? And that preceded uh, Luke Cage, I believe. Well, um, Ali Ali had worked with me and Souls of Mischief on an album that we created a few years back called There's Only Now. Hmm. And um, you know, I enjoyed working with Ali so much, and you know, I've always been a fan of of, of his works. That I was like, let's let's. If, if if we had this much fun doing this project, let's just do something brand new. So we started the project and um, we started the project and, uh, you know, we worked on some other things. And then while we were wrapping up the project, we got the opportunity to potentially score this upcoming black comic television series called Luke Cage. And... Um, it was one of those things that was just so good, like too good to be true, <laughs> that uh, we both said, basically, if this actually comes into fruition, we got to put this album on hold. And it came into fruition, and we put the album on hold, and uh, we just picked the album up again to, to start finishing, and uh, that'll be ready for top of next year. Yeah, I mean, you there's a track on the uh, Kendrick Lamar album, uh, Untitled mm-hmm. Six, that mm-hmm. was actually supposed to be a track on Midnight Hour and still will be with CeeLo, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Kendrick uh, caught wind of what we were doing and really liked that song. So so on Kendrick's album, he is uh, using the demo version to create a whole full new derivative song. And uh, unbeknownst to him, we had actually finished the entire song. So... There's going to be basically two versions of uh, this song, which is called Untitled Six on there, but the original title is actually Question Marks. <laughs> so we're really looking forward to having people hear that. Um, nice. should be special. Nice. Actually, let's let's uh, listen to the Kendrick song for one second. These metamorphic supernatural forces dominate what I see. Gemini, duality, personalities always conflicted. Man, that, uh, 
<laughs> I, I wish we could listen to the whole thing. It's, it, it, it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's awesome. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you guys, uh, so one of the many interesting things about Luke Cage is that the showrunner has his own background as a music writer. T- uh, talk about yeah, we your, know We know Cheo Kelly. He was a former Rolling Stone contributor, now probably yeah. doing a little better monetarily than some of our <laughs> contributors of record reviews. <laughs> but uh, he, he called you guys separately, right? Yes. He yeah. reached out to us separately. And first, I just want to say, let that be an incentive to all you other <laughs> <laughs> thanks, <laughs> thanks for the pep talk contributors yeah. and, and journalists out there the EU. Um, he, but, yeah. he is our superhero he is our little <laughs> kid yeah. it's same for us as well indeed but Cheo I've known Cheo for a long time and he reached out to uh, me uh, for Luke Cage and he reached out to Adrian as well and uh, like we mentioned before we were working together on the midnight hour so it was pretty dope that um that's what he wanted for this series is to merge our sounds together and um so we met with Cheo we met with the heads of Marvel hmm. television and we had a job interview <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, probably but, something you uh, haven't had to do a lot of in your career yeah. oh yeah no you always have to have I mean yeah the get together yeah the get together absolutely and so uh he he told us what he wanted and we gave him our thoughts on how we could make his initial idea more sensational. And part of that was to record with a 30 piece orchestra. Mm. Um, and so we composed our music and then we give it to our orchestrator and conductor, Miguel Atwood Ferguson. And um, that's, that's pretty much how it all came together. That's what how did he, how did he define his original concept for the music of the show? <clears throat> Um, hip hop based. Uh, it was kind of a back and forth between an era, you know, like mid nineties sort of golden era age of hip hop and sound. Um, but mostly just something that, uh, kind of came from the breakbeat part of hip hop when everyone was sampling and Mm. doing breaks before it became super computery and electronic. Um, just going back to the source music of like certain jazz and funk and soul records. And so, um, but maintaining that, that head nod thump sort of a, uh, melodic, um, hypnotizing aspect that hip hop tends to have. Mm. And you, you guys definitely delivered like the hip hop element, but as you were saying, like the stuff that the real source material stuff that you guys deliver, like the the some of the black exploitation era stuff or stuff that recalls like Ennio Morricone, is just amazing. I mean, this is just am- I can't like overstate like how cool like some of this the soundtrack music is. Like this is just like an album you can actually the score you can is an album you can just like put on. Yeah, well, actually, let's play the uh, the opening theme. It's just the one that's called theme, Alex. <laughs> You know, I'm feeling bulletproof already, but but so how? <laughs> <laughs> but so I mean that that's obviously it's a, such a short piece of music, but it has to accomplish so much. So how again? How mm-hmm. how did you kind of get to there? Well, that was actually our third take at the theme, uh, and uh, our second take at the theme is actually the song you hear that is called the end theme. Mm, yeah. So um, uh, a lot of people don't know this, but that end theme. Uh, there was a big fight as to whether the end theme is going to be the actual theme 
for the show. So uh, there was one side that loved the what what is now called the theme, and one side that loved what is now called the end theme. Should we and play the end theme? Yeah, let's, yeah, yeah, let's play should, the end yeah, theme, which I had it, ready too, because it's funny. I was gonna. I kind of. I, I think I almost like the end theme even better. So let's, oh. let's hear that. <laughs> let's hear that. Set it off. <laughs> <laughs> That is just some crazy, like Isaac <laughs> Hayes, like hot buttered soul. Yeah. Like, that's awesome. So well, the end, the end theme. Um, so, like I said, there was there were two camps, and uh, because I, I guess uh, the teams reached a point of impasse, just one was chosen as the first theme, and one was chosen as the end theme. But th- as far as the end theme, uh, musically, you know, I personally like the end theme better than the first. I love the first theme. I love I love it all, but the the end theme. Um, it's it's taking more of a chance mm. because if you listen to theme songs, um, a lot of times it's there's a request for the song to be faster because it is generally thought that if a song is faster, it's more impactful. If the tempo's faster, huh. that's really not true. Um, when you could have a song that just hits in a certain way and moves uh, through chords, it kind of takes the, the the listener on a journey uh, and. Uh, that's maybe why the the end theme resonates with you a little bit more because it resonates with me a little bit more on just well, musically, but uh, but nevertheless, I mean, I'm still a fan of the of the, of the theme, you know. But the, uh, the the main theme, I think, one of the thing when I first heard it and the wow wow guitars came in, I was like, huh, that's I was like, that's a little on the nose, a little like a direct black exploitation kind of reference, but I love it. <laughs> so I don't know what you're thinking. Well, what, wasn't that? You know, you know what's crazy, um, and this is something that that I that I say a lot. Uh, a lot of people, when they listen to this, they think of it as uh, they get black exploitation out of it, right? Right. But the reason why a lot of people get black exploitation out of it is that you don't hear a lot of unapologetically black music being uh, used as score for television and or film right now that's played with an orchestra and with live instruments. That's a great so point. the last time, the last time there was a genre uh, of of uh, that kind of music being used to enhance the visual is during the seventies. That's the last time. But if you listen to a lot of modern music, um, whether it's uh, black, white, whatever, there's wah wah guitars all over it. Right. You see what I'm saying? Right. But the thing is, because you're not used to hearing it. You automatically think black exploitation, which is actually true, but but it just shows that there is a void of this type of uh, soulful music being heard because it's something that is uh, if you're going like waka 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 waka, <laughs> that's something that really really is a '70s thing. Yeah. But just using wah when you're playing like a lead and all that stuff, that's all. That's in rock. That's in everything. Totally. But totally. you don't hear it. You don't hear it soulfully like this, and and it just automatically takes you back uh, to that time. And and I would be just like you if I heard that. If I heard this too, I would say the same thing. So. Totally, uh, but it's just something to note. No, I think that's important. Um, and we're gonna be we're gonna take a break, and we're gonna be uh, right back with Ali Shahid Muhammad and Adrian Young talking about the amazing music of Luke Cage. This is Rolling Stone Music Now. 
If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Macy's, Adidas, Walmart, Nike, Wine.com, Samsung, Lenovo, Sephora, and more. And even stack sales on top of cashback. It's easy to use. And you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers. And Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. So guys, I mean, in general, we were just talking about influences. I mean, what what were and it, it, what were some of the influences that you were drawing on to to create this very specific world of music for the show? Um, we were drawing on the likes of Wu Tang, um, uh, Curtis Mayfield, Isaac Hayes, Ennio Marconi, um, Bernard Herrmann. Hmm. Um, um, Marvin Gaye, James Brown, um, a lot of different artists. And it seems like there was an overall idea I've seen in other interviews. You really wanted to embrace the idea of this is, you've called the music unapologetically black. You were trying to remind people of what could be done in the context of scoring in a black musical context, full, which has been done before but isn't done enough. That was definitely something on your mind, it sounds like. Well, definitely for... Our, well, there's a couple of things. In television, as you mentioned earlier, and not really recalling a television score that you think of that you cared about. When you said that, I instantly thought of Hawaii Five-O, good times. <laughs> <laughs> definitely the 70s era. Um, mm. Things seem to be more musical. Um, and nowadays, there's a tendency to have things be very synthetic and atmospheric uh, to support emotion and the feeling and the movement of what's seen on the screen. And we wanted to make a statement that, uh, especially because Chea wanted it to have such a hip-hop flair, um, we wanted it to be that, but also great composition to be as you said earlier something that you can listen independently of the the series but not you know not with the intention of make that departure but just to have the music to be that good Mm. which which means um you know thinking more about it and not being so simple as to dial up a template of something that's tension based and which is a tendency to happen if you listen to a lot of television shows there's <laughs> there's a lot of similarities in the background music and so we wanted it to really 
the music to <clears throat> lead the emotion or help to support the emotion in a way that people are have not been doing for a long time. I wanted to ask about Requiem for Fife, um, which obviously uh, you know worked in the context of the show in a very powerful way. I think episode eight, and then obviously has uh, another very powerful meaning, and it's also a, a very beautiful piece of music. How did that, the idea to be able to get that in and, and the actual composition of that piece work? Um, I had received a text message from Fife while we were recording the orchestra for, um, I think it was episode six and seven. And um, r- just right after that, we had to go into um, scoring episode eight. And there's a particular scene um in that episode that has a mournful feel to it and I'm not going to give away the scene no spoilers but um um but for those who've seen it or if you will see it you'll understand and so when we actually recorded this the orchestra for that that piece was the the night before Fife passed wow I mean the night after Fife passed and so um it was our orchestra days are, are pretty fun because we have a lot of people that come in and we want people to feel the, the experience of hearing strings and and brass and woodwinds. It's it's a, it's such an experience and so we have a lot of people come in the studio and that particular day I was just kind of in and out, um, just a lot going through my head after, you know, just dealing with the news that my brother was no longer here. Yeah. And uh, when I walked into the room, they were actually cutting to that song and the entire room just had this feeling and that tended that that was all always the case with the orchestra days but that one in particular and then it dawned on me um, what scene it was was often adrian and i are working at such a a fast pace we write something and we kind of forget what it goes what part it Mm. goes to and so instantly it it hit me which scene that was and it just seemed like he was talking to me wow let's hear a little bit of that wow that is a a beautiful and intense piece of music the the, um on on the other end of things you Adrian, was it was it your joint responsibility to for the the existing music, the the existing hip hop and other music that that was played in the show? You were the music supervisor. Is that how that worked? No, um, <clears throat> we were the composers. There's uh, Netflix create one of the first promo videos uh, dealing with the music of the show had us erroneously listed as music supervisors. <laughs> That's why I think that. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and it's funny because <laughs> that, that came out, well, that came out and then, you know, we saw it and I didn't even notice it. Right. And then, uh, I bet the, the music supervisor noticed it though. Right? <laughs> <laughs> probably. Yeah, probably. Uh, so then we're, uh, I'm seeing a bunch of articles pop up and we're called music supervisor. I'm like, man, these people are bad journalists. <laughs> They're not even doing their, their due diligence. <laughs> and, then, and then we realized that there was a mistake of us being listed as music supervisors. So the actual music supervisors on the show uh, were Season Kent and Gabe Hilfer, and they did a, one hell of a job uh, picking the music along with 
Cheo Coker, who's the, the showrunner, right. as we spoke of earlier. So they all pretty much combined as a team to pick all the needle drops and uh, to help, you know, just illuminate the world of Luke Cage through music. It's. I, I think people are ready to believe that you guys supervised it because it, it all it all flows so seamlessly. But I just mean that everyone did their job. Um, yeah, yeah. team. And before before we go into a break, I, you know the the uh, one of the cool original songs was "Bulletproof Love," uh, which you guys did work on. Yes. Yes. Yeah. How did how did that come together? Um, Cheo, throughout the 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 series, he has um, featured guest artists so there's Raphael Sadiq there's Charles um, Bradley there's uh, Sharon Jones Faith Evans um, uh, Jordana who else um, a ton of people yeah ton of people the Delphonics and so uh, he specifically wanted it, it's funny he had he has such a wish list on certain aspects of the show and one of them was to get somebody in from a woo and um, <laughs> so he had this idea about Method Man and it was supposed to feature Method Man uh, as experiencing and interacting with Luke. And so uh, then he comes and does the Sway show <laughs> and uh, rhymes about, I guess, you know, freestyle about what happened. Yeah, so, yeah, we we created the song. It's cool. I mean, it, it's good to know that both uh, both Sway and Meth Man exist in the Marvel universe. <laughs> That's a good <laughs> fact to know. So, guys, I want to talk a little bit about your the development of, of your styles. Uh, Ali, I mean, Tribe when the the very unique and now sort of historic and iconic and important style of production that you had on those records. How did it come together? What what were the what were the influences and what what felt fresh to you at that time? Um, well, certainly not doing with what other people were doing, and we had a lot of respect for like the Bomb Squad and yeah. Bonnie Marl. You know, um, the Bomb Squad's style of production they mashed up a lot of little bit itty bitty sounds and captured a lot of just different breaks and pieces and and made this crazy mashup composition of greatness um and then for a lot of other songs that at that time was just a lot of james brown samples and hmm. um i think a lot of things that you would definitely absolutely find in your parents record collection um but q-tip's dad uh, introduced him to jazz and tip introduced me to jazz music and um, not the cool jazz of the time of the 80s but you know the more straight stuff of the 60s and 70s and um, just I guess you know just digging in the crates from that perspective and, and really loving um the open breaks that you would find on the jazz records. It was different than the funk breaks and the soul breaks. Um, they were very melodic. And so, um, and the music moved, you yeah. know, just even though if, even if it was a, a simple four bar loop, it just felt like it had movement. And, um, and the way that the bomb squad would layer, uh, sounds that, uh, 
became musical or more rhythmic i should say not right musical, rhythmic sort of noise um, percussion kind of stuff yeah but yeah yeah exactly and so we layered other uh clips or samples pieces of one jazz record and put it on top of another so there could be a you know like um like the Benita Applebaum, for example, that one particular record, that one loop goes on and on. But then what makes the record interesting is the sitar that comes out of nowhere, which is not part of that original song that we sampled. So it's just doing things like that. And it, it hadn't really be, been done at the time. And so it was fresh, I guess. And people still love it. Yeah. And Adrian, it was a major influence on you. Low End Theory was one of the most uh, important albums for you, I believe. Absolutely. Um, it. I. I always tell uh, Ali, and that, you know, Tribe introduced me to jazz. Tribe really made me appreciate and love jazz, and um, and also, that album is one of the first to to serve as a, as as a seminal example of how to intertwine samples with real musical composition not just merely arrangement and production because they used instruments with the samples they blended samples in ways that uh, were in key and this was something that was brand new and they also with this album showed us all a, a new way to reinterpret the, the, the bottom end the low end of the musical spectrum as far as hip hop is concerned. So it definitely in, inspired me and you could, and you you could hear that stuff in my music, you could hear that stuff on the Luke Cage soundtrack as far as the 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 root of inspiration. I think we might And have it's not just it's not just me. I, I always tell people that uh you know, with all my affiliations in hip hop, uh to me tribe is is still my favorite. Mm. I think we might have to listen to a little bit of uh, Low End Theory. Should we put on a little bit? 1988, senior year at Garby High. Well, all the guys were corny, but the girls were mad fly. Lounging with the tipster, cooling with shop, scoping out the honeys. They know who they are. Man, Thing, things really do go in cycles because we're, we're hearing jazz as a major part of hip-hop again in the last couple of years, which is incredible, and quite frankly, I never never thought we'd get back there. So that's, that, I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, definitely. Like with Kendrick Lamar's exactly. album, you know, with Robert Glasper, who was a jazz artist who was influenced by hip-hop and, and Dilla and how he brought it around, you know. So and Kamasi Washington, of course. Kamasi you know, Washington. Yeah. Um, Terrace Martin, yeah. But uh, Adrian, I, I understand that you were, you've said that you actually, it's kind of funny because you're, you're, produ you're producing hip hop um, in the last few years, it, it, but you, you've said that you kind of stopped listening to hip hop around 1998. What, is, what do you, I'm sure that's not literal, perhaps not literally true, but what do you mean when you say that and why? Well, I'm somebody that is uh, an avid member of, of what I define as a hip hop culture and an and that raised me. Now, uh, I, I always tell people that I actually left hip hop in 97 because to me that's what, that's around the time when the music didn't reflect the, the, the culture as much. Um, the music tended to, at that time, started to become a lot more 
pop oriented mm-hmm. and um it was just not made for the b-boys and the b-girl or let me rephrase the vantage point of making music for the underground and the culture and the culture of people that um speak the same vernacular have the same feelings uh you know those decades to me were coming to an end in 97 and this is with the advent of uh hip hop really getting into R&B and changing what R&B is and and uh-huh. vice versa and the radio starting to accept hip hop a lot more which is not bad that's actually really great but it, but what it did was uh really created to me uh, a really uh uncultivated market of rap music that was just around to try to make people dance. And uh, hmm. so, uh, you know, from 97 to now, obviously there's a lot of great hip-hop still being made. But a lot of that hip-hop is not stuff you really hear on the radio. It's stuff you have to actually search and and uh, and, and and find in the underground, you know, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But at that time also is when I really got into just uh, DJing and listening to old breaks and records. And I also discovered that those records meant more to me than the hip hop derivatives that were made mm. from sampling these records. What, what so kind of, my did, mind what was kind of records are we talking about here? Uh, that's when I started getting into uh, listening to Curtis Mayfield, uh, into Ennio Morricone. I mean, basically I was listening to the source material, hip hop, the breaks and, and deconstructing how they created these compositions how they had why is it that those drums sound so good how you know why does the bass sound so mid-rangey and punchy uh Mm. why don't people make music like this anymore but then when i play this kind of music for people they have the same reaction that i do and that kind of inspired my foundation to to make music with this patina Totally. And uh, that's when, to me, it's just that music was just, I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a dude, of, I'm, I'm a person of the hip-hop culture, but at that moment, I started to realize that I actually like that music better than hip-hop, and hip-hop led me to it. Wow. That's Final Battle. Part one, How, you know, it's a final battle, but that's part one of the final battle. Uh, when you think about the big superhero battle, that's not necessarily what you've been hearing in, in superhero movies the last few years. But look what mm-hmm. they look what look what you guys did with it. So, t- tell us about that piece a little bit. What you remember about it coming together? That was uh, something that that was probably one of the toughest parts of the score, actually. Now that I think about it, mm-hmm. right? Because the fight scene we had to score. It's like a. a- 14 minutes like yeah well yeah it's like 14 minutes so it was just a lot of musical movements within you know you you can't have continue when you're scoring you don't generally when you especially for something like 14 minutes you don't score non-stop you have to um uh, take the the viewer with you so there's ups and downs and the music has to reflect those ups and downs in a way that doesn't expose what is about to happen so it it was it was pretty difficult uh but we wanted to have a take on it that was unorthodox we didn't want to fall into the 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 general thunder shaking bass exactly (laughs) 
that's what like it totally that's what really jumped out at me listening to it and also just listening to it as a piece of music on like spotify it's like you're we you going back to what you were saying before we are so used to as listeners to action movies with just certain canned things and like okay this is the battle scene this is what the battle scene sounds like and hearing something that's so fresh and just so different it just really changes the whole experience so much go ahead uh, well, one thing about this experience is that this is something that Ali and I have uh, always wanted to do uh, for something of this magnitude. And the reason why we were granted the authority to do it is because not only the creator, Cheo Coker, believed in us, but uh, Netflix and Marvel believed in our vision. And that inspired us and pushed us to to try to to really essentially dedicate nine months of our lives to just trying trying to create the best score ever for television. I mean, we dropped everything for this. Yeah, it, so it took the, over your lives, right? You didn't really anticipate absolutely. how much it would, I think. you no, Actually, no. I did. Okay. <laughs> I, kept trying to tell, I kept trying to tell Adrian. I was like, yeah. I don't think you... It's but, true. Because Adrian, and he's he's done this before, and with Black Dynamite, not only you know scoring it, but editing it, he has you know, inside look as to what is, uh, what is necessary to, to get the job done. But for me, it was my first time and I felt like that nothing else could exist. And, um, mm. Adrian usually is like, Oh, we can do it all. And he's usually like 99.9% right about that, you know, in life. But with this particular thing, at some point it was funny. I don't remember when, but he, mm. just, he said to me, yo, you're right. Like, yep. <laughs> we, we can't go anywhere we can't do anything but this and i'm yeah. like yeah man so um but it was it was a sacrifice and we both would do it all over again because mm-hmm. we we knew the the, the the type of impact that we wanted to have and in order to do that um you you have to have vision you have to have faith and belief and and, and having the support as he said of marvel and netflix was definitely a key component of that and so knowing after we submitted the first uh, uh, we, we submitted episode number two first in scoring and the feedback we got from both Marvel and Netflix let us know that we were in an environment that was going to allow us to, to just take it to the heights musically and, and, and be innovative against what is normally heard on television and so we committed you mentioned uh, bernard herman um cotton mouse theme um which uh which which we'll play in a second but that i think that one kind of showed that influence bernard herman i guess psycho and everything so was that uh was that was that someone you were thinking about in that that intense little piece of music well that is actually uh yes absolutely it's definitely analogous to a lot of the bernard herman but what the what the what really inspired that was how Tarantino used uh, oh. uh, Quincy Jones' Ironside. How he, it's the use of those synthesizers, and you hear a lot of that kind of score and composition in a lot of old kung fu movies as well. Just wild, raging, octave-based synthesizers. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was our our nod to say, like, yo, Tarantino, what up, bro? Like, what we gonna do? What's, what's cracking? That's for you. That's for you.
So the other th- the other thing that's cool is the the way music infuses so many aspects of the show. Uh, and a brilliant little detail that, that Chao did is is that Cottonmouth, the villain, is a frustrated musician. Uh, so there's these scenes of mm-hmm. him just cooling out with like a Fender Rhodes, I think, right? <laughs> and mm-hmm. just and and you have to you have to establish that he actually is talented. So who played mm-hmm. that stuff <laughs> for, for real? Uh, that's that's that was uh me and Ali. There's one scene where we we brought in one of our good musician friends, Darian, Darian to play something. But uh uh on on most of those it's it's Ali and I playing the roads. And then uh it was funny about those scenes is Mahershala, who plays Cottonmouth, would literally well we had to create the the the, the piano uh, riffs right and send it over because they would be shooting like in a day or two so we had to create the riffs and then also video ourse- video self videotape ourselves playing it and send that as well so Mahershal would have you know a couple hours just to kind of try to figure it out and he did a hell of a job he sure did because it wasn't intentional to make it challenging but we wanted it to be real and we could have written something that was real easy for him to play on camera but knowing uh the the musicianship of his character Mm -hmm. we really wanted the music to be authentic and challenging and so um and and deliver some emotion right yes absolutely and so Mahershala didn't back away from that um and you're listening to Rolling Stone Music now in volume and we have a couple more minutes uh with uh, the composers of the music of Luke Cage on Netflix. Um, guys, it seems like your partnership has to go forward from here, whether it's on season two, which I know everyone's asking about, but if I were you, I'd be holding out <laughs> <laughs> for Rez. Uh, but, we can but, help you negotiate some of that. Yeah. Let's do it right now. You need us, yeah. <laughs> um, but, I, I mean, I, I would imagine this has cemented you two as a team, I hope, going forward, uh, you know, in addition to all the other stuff you'll be doing separately. Oh, I mean, we've already cemented, you yeah. know, but definitely... Um, Going through this process, um, it just we we learn more about what we're able to do, and we're excited to do those things, you know, you know together. And we have a whole lot of ideas, um, and just trying to find the right right outlets to uh, get them out. Um, and Adrian has uh, has Ali played you the tribe album. Um, no, actually, what? not what? really my friend. No, no, we heard we 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 heard a lot of it when we were at Tips. Like, what was that? Mm, said January, February. Probably, yeah, probably like January, February. It's great. It's it's, it's great to hear. Um, you know, my my favorite hip hop group have new music. So it's it's a real it's it's a it's a really special thing because. Uh, I I study. I've always studied why uh, my favorite artist fell off, mm. right? And Tribe never fell off. Mm, they right. were always great. So, right. um, it, you know, in listening to it, I'm just in in you know in my mind just hoping that they don't fall off like Isaac Hayes did to me or Curtis Mayfield did to me. And these people are icons, you know. Yeah. And um. And it's and it's great. They did a good job. 
I mean, Ali, as, as we wrap up, I mean, what was it like to try to craft a modern sound uh, and to try to live up to, this is the kind of thing I, I end up asking reunited rock bands all the time, you know, like, how do you live up to your old stuff, you know? So, so how, I mean, what, what, was the, what was that challenge like, and especially in the face of, of, of the tragedy that, that's hanging over this album? Um, that's, that's a challenging question to ask, answer, and I'll just answer it this way, that because I was working on Luke Cage and in a concentrated way, there was limitations on what I could contribute to the Tribe Called Quest record. Mm. And however, my major contribution was to inspire Fife to continue because at many different points, um, he wanted to do something different. Mm. And um, I thought that both he and Q-Tip being in the room together um, more so for their friendship surpasses anything that they could do in recording and I don't know why I felt that way and I continue to encourage him to to just deal with the discomforts of his traveling and having to be away from home in his condition um and I did not know that he wouldn't be here, you know. And yeah. so um, it's it could have gone a different way. I mean, I could have just said something different. I'm like, okay, go home. <laughs> yeah. You know. But, but we're so glad you did, but, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And not just because, again, not because of the music, but because, I mean, everyone has seen the documentary and have seen, you know, the the challenges between everyone just brotherhood and um and they were able to spend so much time together yeah and at this period so the reward for everyone cool. else is that there's an album and that's it for this episode of rolling stone music now thanks very much to our guests adrian young and ali shaheed muhammad Tune in to SiriusXM's volume every Friday at 1 p.m. for the live show. Subscribe to Rolling Stone Music Now at rollingstone.com slash podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.